1: and welcome to security and skill hosted by johnny Sefer this is the podcast where i say it's okay to not be okay and if you have the same mantra as me then before we get to today's guest please subscribe to security and skill while you're listening and at the end of the episode leave a five-star rating and a review in this episode you're going to hear about weight loss surgery now if you're thinking of losing weight please speak to your doctor first or get advice on the nhs website <laughs> let Me, tell you about my guest today because my guest today is very special. She marks 200 episodes of Securely Insecure to continue that conversation that we started all the way back that it's okay to not be okay. And she is one of the OG reality TV people. You will know her as one of Big Brother's biggest success stories when she was on the show, age 19, in 2007. It was a series that starred Brian Bello, Charlie Uchia, Samanda, and Ziggy, who she obviously was with until day 61 before they parted ways and she walked out their house. Since then, she's become an aesthetic practitioner cake maker and a travel agent but in the media she stayed in the news as her up and down weight loss journey has been documented all the way through and it's with thanks to tonic weight loss surgery that she joins me to look back at her mental health journey along the way as she marks the occasion of losing an incredible 10 stone in weight so without further ado i'm delighted to welcome to Kudinska. it's chanel hayes hello chanel
2: hello what an introduction oh my god i feel like i've just my whole life flashed before my eyes
1: and how does that make you feel
2: that makes me feel (laughs) old
1: and you're not old whatsoever but you've done so much in the past 16 years that we've obviously known who you are
2: yeah that's true now i'm not that old i could be older i could also be younger but there we go i have done a lot of stuff do everything backwards decide to not do uni until i'm 35 because i've decided to go on big brother when it's actual real uni time everything's backwards for me
1: well, how are you finding the uni experience? Because are you doing a night course? Are you going in and sitting with the fresh 18, 19, 20 year olds
2: I am literally... Like sat with the 18 year olds, like, Hi guys, what's the cool thing that we're wearing today? Oh, leggings are back in with socks over the top. Brilliant. Used to wear those when I was seven. But now like just recycling all my old clothes and like it just trying to fit in, and they're all like, Oh my god, please don't talk to me. Like it's horrendous.
1: But then you say that, and obviously they wouldn't have watched Big Brother when you're on it, but you've got a blue tick on Twitter and on Instagram. So surely they go oh she must be worth knowing because she's got a blue tick and there's so much kudos that still comes with that too
2: yeah I mean to be fair they do know that I do stuff like this but I'm such like a goody two shoes swath like I just like Sit right at the front of every lecture listen and write on my notes and then a lot of time we spend on placement anyway because it's nursing so so we're in the hospital so it's then when it's a bit of a problem because then people are like you look familiar and i'm like oh yeah i think i maybe did a shift here last week thinking oh my god <laughs> please uh, watched big brother in 2007
1: I saw you in a magazine once. Oh, no, I no, I no, no, we're not going there. We're not going there, patient.
2: I'm like, no, no. Anyway, here's some parasites
1: tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're daydreaming. <laughs> you definitely did not see me without some clothes on, on a new, in a magazine. No, you da- that wasn't <laughs> yeah. me. That wasn't me.
2: It didn't happen. I'm sorry. I think you're <laughs> hilarious. Doctor?
1: so when it comes to those students though this is really interesting when you're a student you go to university you've got two types you've got those who are there for the university freshers you know clubbing experience and then you've got those who actually are there for the course and obviously as you get older and it means more to you and obviously you're paying to do your course now and you Mm -hmm. want to do it because you've got a goal how do you find being around the students who are just there for a bit of fun they didn't know what else they wanted to do or is there a change of they're there for a reason and we're all in this together?
2: Luckily, there's like a nice group of, there's, there's mixtures. So there's some that are obviously there for the experience, but we're like nearly at the end now. We've only got one more year to go. So a lot of, it's really thinned down. So a lot of people who were just there for the uni experience and didn't put the work in Of. Have to leave because they didn't get the grade. So now there's a nice mix of like conscientious younger students and then older students who all stick together because we don't have a clue of the words that the younger students are using because it's just a different language.
1: But does that not make you want to get in part of that language? You know, you have got a media profile. Obviously, TikTok is the place to be now. Does that not make you want to go? Oh, I know how to use Instagram. I know how to use Twitter. But maybe I should get into TikTok. And I've got the right people around me who are going to help me get there.
2: My 12 year old son would physically lock me up under the stairs if I tried to use TikTok because he would be so embarrassed to go to school and have me like being on TikTok. He would just physically restrain
1: me. See, this is the problem because TikTok's the place to be and Obviously, it's got such a platform that you would be amazing at. But you're right. There's that pressure of those around you that be like, why are you on TikTok? It's for young people, not old people. And yet everyone is supposed to be using it.
2: Yeah, no, my Blakely wouldn't allow it. It would not. He just allows Instagram, and he's like, "But if you do anything embarrassing on it, Mom, you know it's just not fair." You know, it's normally the parent that restric- restricts the phone from the, the child. Blakely is like the one restricting me from the app. He's like, "No, I'm sorry, it's just unacceptable for you to have TikTok at this time in my life." It wouldn't be fair to send a kid to high school with me all over TikTok being a loser. I think I'd be like, right, okay, if I could just immediately contact social services for adoption, (laughs) that would be great.
1: You bring up adoption, and if it's okay with you, I'd like to start at the beginning of your journey, and obviously we'll come to where you are now, but you were adopted as well, weren't you?
2: Yes, I was adopted. I was very, very lucky. I was adopted by a lovely mum and a lovely dad. I'm very, very lucky to have been adopted into such a lovely family and had a really lovely upbringing by my mum and dad and the rest of my family. That being said, what's really nice is obviously I keep in touch with my biological sisters. So we get to always talk about my biological mum, and we get to like, because obviously they remember her, they're a lot older than me. Um, I think there's an eight year gap between me and Melissa and then another eight year gap between Melissa and Maria, who's the eldest. And so they've got different memories of her and people in their circles knew my mum, my biological mum, when she was alive. So it's nice to hear like the other half of the story, if you know what I mean.
1: Because those that are listening might not know that your mum passed away when you were a couple of months old. And so you don't have obviously your own experiences. So what's that relationship like? Obviously, they're your biological sisters. Obviously, you've got a biological mum do you feel that attachment that you're part of that family or is there that distance because you don't have your own memories and you never will be able to have your own memories of that time
2: no i think it was hard when i was like in my teenage years i really struggled with quite a difficult teen for my mom and dad i'm surprised they didn't try and give me back to social services actually i was a bit of a terror went through quite a hard time mentally then but that's when I was introduced to my sisters and I think when I was introduced to them and at the time my nanan who's since, since passed away. But I think being introduced to them and having everything being transparent and learning about my original roots was what like helped. It was quite cathartic and that helped me get to a better place mentally I think. So learning from other people and... How weird is this as well? So one of my friends, best friends, actually, I've been best friends with for years, has a stepsister who I'm also friends with. And her stepsister's mum was in a similar situation to my mum in that she got into um, drugs and bad habits and went down a a different path to what the ideal path would be and ended up... um, incarcerated for a short time and she was born in this same prison wing that I was born in and we didn't know this and then all of a sudden it was literally about four months ago she texted me and was like oh my god I'd looked at this photo and I saw this woman holding this baby and I just thought why is Chanel in this photo holding a baby and she realized that then it was my mum and her mum who she's now still in touch with have been telling her stories about my mum because she was such close friends with my mum all this time and she didn't realise that it was my mum that she'd been telling her these stories about.
1: I've got goosebumps, now.
2: Oh, my God, it's crazy. Like, I couldn't believe it when she told me. Like, oh, my gosh, that's absolutely mental. She was like, yeah, Andrea was the one who got me through. Like, we were going to go out and live together. She got out before me and we were going to... Um, start college courses together and start a new life and start a new way of living. And then obviously, sadly, in the meantime, she got like, like killed, taken away by somebody evil. And so that never happened, but it's nice to hear from another person that didn't know my sisters who, but did know my mom told me such lovely, lovely things about my biological mom. When I told Melissa and Maria Oh, my God, the jaws hit the floor when I sent them this picture. Because y- y- you've got to think, I don't have any memories. But Mel- one thing that sticks in my mind is Melissa said to me, oh, my God, that's my mum's ankle. I never thought I'd see her ankle again. Because like, on the pictures that we've got of her, it's like waist up or it's the same pictures that have been there for years. They're just blocks in your mind. as the same pictures. You're never going to get any new pictures. But for them to then have this new picture that had never seen before, they were blown away.
1: But that's the problem as well, is that from the other side, that your sisters would have given you really positive stories about your mum, whereas the person who was in prison with her would have told you almost a version that you wouldn't have had that association with. So yes, you know she's gone through bad habits, but you'd have been limited to the amount of information you knew about that time of her life. So does that change the way you looked at your mum based on what you now know overall of the overall picture of her
2: well no because i knew everything anyway i knew from the start that from when i was adopted my mum and dad have always brought me up and being transparent about it they had a book that said a story of like chanel hayes and sadly andrea had to go away and blah 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 every picture had every page had a picture and so i knew the, the full story and then, what, like I say, in my teenage years, when I found out more and I found out, oh, she actually, it was led to sex work and drug taking and things like that. Then I think, it, it, like I say, I found it a relief that I knew, oh, well, at least kind of I know where I'm coming from. But to hear somebody else that was completely unrelated to my mom, completely unrelated to my family, completely in... We had no idea. Like me and my friend have been friends for over twenty years. We had no idea that that we were the it was in that situation and it was the same pe- person. But the fact that somebody else was spoken so concerned positively of her when they didn't need to just emphasises that she must have been such a good person and just took the wrong path.
1: There's always conversations about what age do you tell someone they've been adopted and to start that journey. Obviously, you said that you started that right at the beginning. Were you the right age to know that information? And if not, and if you could give advice, what age should it be?
2: Well, I had a book called Jane is Adopted and they read it to me every night from being as little as I can remember. I can't remember them not reading it to me. Then I got more curious. And so then they made Chanel is Adopted and they made it with the help from their social services team. This is my mum and dad, Christine and Harry. And they made that. And then... It was when I hit probably 12, 13 that I started getting more curious and was like, right, I understand that I'm adopted. I'm really grateful that I'm living in such a lovely house and with such a lovely family with really good morals and blah, blah, blah. But I want to know more. And I've got pictures in here of sisters. I want to see my sisters. I've got pictures in here of my nanan and I want to see my nanan. And so it was it, that's when it got tough. But I think it was good for me to know all along because then there was no massive big shock. I feel like if you drop something on someone like that, that's a huge shock. And I don't know whether that would have been more damaging mentally than knowing all along.
1: Well, that's the thing as well. Like You don't want your adopted parents to have that relationship with you that you're like, well, you're not my real parents. I want to go away or put me in a foster home or, you know we want to bring you up we've chosen to adopt you we we want you to see us as your adopted parents but also we know you've got another side to you you know we know you've got the biological family and it's there's a very thin ground to tread to not upset you and also for you to go well who am i you know who is the real chanel hayes this isn't Mm -hmm. the chanel hayes that's here even if i was five months old when i was adopted
2: it was such like you say it's paper thin like the it's paper thin in the distinction between them kind of making a point of, well, you're not our daughter, but also them wanting to say, you are our daughter, but you also have another section of your life that we want to show respect to, to a really thin line. And they did it so sensitively. And I couldn't I couldn't have done it myself as a parent. I would have found it really hard. I don't even know whether I could adopt, to be honest, because knowing that I've got children of my own, I just don't know if I'm a strong enough person to adopt. I think it takes a really strong person to adopt someone. But we always stayed in touch with even my foster parents when they were alive, you know, where I went in the interim between my mum dying and being actually adopted. So we always went to see them monthly and kept a good relationship with them and the way that that my mum and dad did things was so respectful and I wouldn't have been able to do it myself it was just really it cared for all sides of the story and the way that they put their actions across and like brought me up knowing
1: every side of my life amazing well also if anyone's interested in adoption and foster care there's some great authors out there Kathy Glass Casey Watson, and Louise Allen those three in particular bring out books each year telling stories of kids who have been in foster care and been adopted and they're really number one inspirational but number two you really get to learn about other people's experience so I really encourage you to go and buy books by Kathy Glass Casey Watson, and Louise Allen Chanel you obviously talk about your teenage years and how you went on that discovery you also went to discover yourself obviously age 19 years old when we saw you on big brother and this was pre the days of social media this was pre the days of brand deals where you'd gone live yeah. on Love for a reason what was your reason age 19 years old not to go to university but to go in the big brother house
2: <laughs> i only went because my friends wanted to go and queue up i was the one that drove and i wasn't allowed to queue up unless i auditioned <laughs> just to do it by accident and then i kept thinking oh, that's interesting i've got through will get through the next one I'll just see how far I can go, just for sort of interest's sake. Just you know, I'm not really bothered either way. I've got, I know I'm going to get a good job. I know I'm going to get good results. So I'm doing really well in my A levels, blah blah blah. And then I just kept getting further and further. And then I was like, oh my gosh, okay. So they want me to go into hiding in France. Um, I'm not allowed my phone. I'm not allowed my watch. I'm not allowed any method of communication am I actually being kidnapped at this point? And this has been like a, like a ruse all along. Or is this a real thing? They would always phone you off a private number. You wouldn't ever be given the name of who you were meeting. It would just be someone holding a green spotty umbrella outside a specific tube station or a specific like cafe or something. And then I was like, okay. In Kings Cross, I met this girl. She had a green spotty umbrella. She was like, right, I'm going to need to take your watch going to need to take your um, phone. going to need to take any forms of, like, method of payment that you've got. Have you got your passport so we can prove who you are? Yeah, I'm going to need that. I thought, oh, my God, I think I'm getting mugged. I don't know what's going on here. But, no, it was actually a real thing. I just had to wear a towel over my head all the way to France. We went on the thing that you drive your car onto and it goes under the tunnel. And we were just in France for, like, two weeks. And then... I was driven back to London and I had to wear one of those masks that you used to have to wear in drama, you know, that are creepy and they're all white and you just, there's no expression on it. It looks like a mime mask type thing. I had to wear one of those so no photographers could see who I was in this car, but I looked like I was going to go and rob a local, like, petrol station or something was whisked into this studio, had headphones on all day with music, so I couldn't hear anything that was going on outside, and then just shoved in the back of a car and were like, right, good luck. Was like, oh, my God, what? And then that was it.
1: And the rest is history. You know, you did the biggest big brother series before it kind of started to lose its way a bit why do you think your series was so iconic you know you had brian Ballet, you had Samantha. Obviously. we had your romance of ziggy if that's okay to say yeah. it was that series that kind of just peaked big brother and that's eight series in which is quite a long way to go to have its peak i
2: know but i mean when you've got a contestant like me no
1: I'm <laughs> <laughs> well you were voted the second ever uh, best big brother contestant i saw somewhere
2: I mean, he was first because I'd like to. I think that was Imogen from, and Thomas. Form of appeal. Oh, that's all right. I like Imogen. She's my friend, so that's okay. Yeah, that's. I'll be. I'll go second to Imogen. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I don't know. I think probably it was partly down to me and Ziggy having such a psychotic relationship in there. It just got too desperate then after that. People went on there knowing you could get big money from magazine deals. And so, like, they went on there specifically for that. And they tried to be a certain type of person that they couldn't keep up because they weren't really that type of person. And then it was just boring because, really, they were just putting on a show. Well,
1: that's it. And also, when you're 19 years old and you're quite naive about the world and you're still trying to work out who you are, and especially for for yourself, who's gone through a lot in your early years, it's quite easy to be impressionable and to be you know you're around a lot of older people and you will get their character traits and want to fit in not be the outsider just for those brand deals but you Mm -hmm. know we look at love island now and there's people like Gemma owen and georgia still who've been 19 when they've gone on the show and it's always been well they're quite young you know they're going with these 30 year old guys but also their mentality isn't where the late 20 year olds are Looking back now at that time, and you were 19 years old, do you think you were too young to go on Big Brother and therefore too young to go on reality TV?
2: Like, I just, you don't have any world experience. I I came from Yorkshire, which is a million years from London. I was thrown into this whole other world with a a whole different bunch of people. I was just like a young, bratty, like wrapped in a bubble, had like a really nice upbringing type of brat. Like, I didn't have a clue about who I was or what I, what I wanted to do. Like, I had no idea. But like I say, I wasn't there with any ulterior motive. I, I was just really there by accident. It's a strange one because now you see people going into Love Island. You know what you're going into Love Island for. You're going for your closing deals. You're going for your social media posts. You're going to earn your money so that you can get a nice house like open a business and retire like that's what you're doing now I was just walking in blind thinking I don't really know what I'm doing at this point was I too young to go in there probably do I regret going in there no because I wouldn't have the life that I have now if I hadn't been in there and I probably would have been one of the students we were talking about earlier that went to uni and flunked
0: That's code LISTEN at Bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. Bluenile.com code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50
2: pounds. So at least I'm going to get through uni with a degree at, at this point, even though I'm 35. I do do things in a, in a strange order. I've done them in that order and I can't change them, so that's where we are, I guess.
1: But then you come away from the show and while some people get lots of Brand deals and TV shows. Obviously, at that time for you, it seemed to be the media were just obsessed with your weight. Obviously, you've changed your weight and you've been on a massive weight loss journey over the past sixteen years. You've lost ten stone now, which is incredible. But the media have always seemed to be the ones who are picking up on Chanel Hayes on holiday, Chanel at home, Chanel on holiday, yeah. Chanel at home, and that seems to be the story they've always told for you. With Lisa Appleton, who did it a couple of years later, it was always Lisa's putting the bins out again. Why do you think the media just became obsessed with you? And how did you find that over the past couple of years?
2: So I stayed down in London for a while and obviously did a lot of modeling. And I think that's probably why it was more interesting to people that then I gained weight because I was so slim as a model and was like... Seen as having such a like sexy body and only slim could be sexy and only curves when it was bum or boobs could be sexy and but then when I actually moved out of London because I didn't find it that much of a nice environment the partying scene isn't for me I just like to go to bed at nine o'clock and just a bit boring so I think then when I came up and was given my mum's meal portion sizes again things obviously changed and one of those things was my weight. I think it was a surprise to a lot of people. I still continued to model when I was heavier. I continued to model up until I was about 13, 14 stone. But what I found probably the most harmful to me was they edited it a lot. So I didn't look anything like myself. So that was probably what damaged my mental health a bit more, in, in the way of, oh, okay, so they still wanted me. I'm still selling magazines because they wouldn't be paying me this money for to, to, to one day's work. There was, there was no way they would pay me this money for one day's work if I wasn't selling magazines. But I'm only selling magazines when I've been edited. So that's why can I not sell magazines as I am? Like, do you know what I mean? So then all the lads' mags went bust anyway. And my mainstream of income was gone so that hit me hard as well and that's when I started looking at other things to do I opened a cake business because I wanted something that I could do from home because obviously I had my eldest child at that point and he wasn't in school yet obviously when you make cakes you need to try that and you can't that, send things out to people that aren't nice <laughs> So that kind of started me in a little bit worse than I was and um, it just kind of went on from there really and then I ended up on holiday one year and they always end up finding out where you are and it, like it, no matter where you if you post you're in another country they'll, somehow they always know where you are it just takes one photo even if it's just someone on their iPhone they can sell it, it turns out that I still made them good money w- when I wasn't edited but I was just made to feel like I'd really failed in life because I'd put this all this weight on. So then I did start getting more work in, saying, well, I am proud to be bigger and I'm not ashamed of the fact that I've put all this weight on. Like, I'm not ashamed. But then I got bigger and then I got to the point where, right, okay, I do actually feel unhealthy at this point. I feel unhealthy mentally because I'm bigger than I feel comfortable with. I don't feel like I actually look good which makes me feel bad I'm also getting physical symptoms of being unhealthy my joints are hurting I can't do the exercise that I would normally do my hair is thinning you know just things that reflect an unhealthy lifestyle so that's when I thought right okay I need to start looking for other options and and see what I can do from here because I don't want to Make out to people that being skinny is the only thing that is successful. I don't care what size people are. To me, I just wanted to be healthy for my kids and for myself. And if that meant going on a diet, then that's what I would do. So I tried a lot of different diets, and one of them was successful. I ended up losing a lot of weight at one point. But then when you stop following the ridiculous eating plans that you're given for a lot of these diets, the weight piles back on, of course it does, because you go back to your, your normal eating habits. And so that didn't work. I had liposuction, but fair enough, that got rid of a lot of fat at the time. But then I was still eating the food, so the fat cells still grow. Even though you've had fat cells removed, the other ones can still grow. You can still get big again. And I just thought, right, okay, I clearly can't do this on my own. I had so many, so many diet companies contact me, video companies for fitness videos contact me saying, oh, do this, do this. And I just thought, I know that I actually can't do this. I can't commit a contract to do this because I know that once I have sent, yeah, probably will stick to the video, probably will stick to the diet that you give me, but give me six months and I'll be back to big again. And I don't want to sell out and give people like snake oil and say, follow this plan and you'll lose weight and have a healthier lifestyle forever because 90% of people probably won't. So that's when I looked into potential bariatric surgery, which I am a bit of a, like I told you before, I'm a bit of a like SWAT, I'm a bit of a goody two-shoes, I like to know everything about everything. So I researched and researched and researched and researched for about 18 months before I even approached anybody about doing anything. In terms of consultations, I just literally researched. I looked at every review. I looked at every aftercare package. I looked at everything. And I went and saw, saw a couple of people who weren't for me that I didn't feel as though the results I would get from them in terms of, like, aftercare, which was important to me because I was in a cycle of unhealthy eating and a food addiction cycle. So I needed the aftercare, the, the psychological aftercare, and a couple of companies, I thought, oh, they're not for me. They're not going to provide me with what I need. The one company that I did find that I really was pleased about was Tonic. I just thought, right, okay, this seems too good to be true. I'm going to go and see these people. I'd really like to know more about this because you get a five-year aftercare plan with a like psycho- psychology team. You get your personal training virtually with, with your own personal training. You get your exercise plan. You get nutrition people that you speak to. You get regular check-ins from the nurse there, that tonic. It's like unreal. Okay, I'm going to see this for myself. And I went and I saw them and I was just astounded at the staff that worked there because a lot of the staff had had the same surgery that I was looking into and they just looked so healthy and they looked so happy. And they were like, It is real. The aftercare package is real, and that's what's helped us. And don't get me wrong, it's not been an easy road. I don't feel like bariatric surgery is an easy road. don't feel like it's a cheater's way out. I feel like you're going under anesthetic, and you are basically putting your life in somebody else's hands for a couple of hours whilst this surgery is being performed. Then it has got to be serious for you to get to that point, and you have got to care about your health, a lot to be able to get to the point where you are willing to put it into somebody else's hands. So I wanted to make sure those hands were very, very capable. It was something that I wish I would have done years before because it's absolutely changed my life. Now, don't get me wrong, the results came more or less immediately. I was losing weight because I couldn't physically couldn't eat. There have been times when I have gone off the band, like fallen off the wagon, whatever the saying is, and I've eaten Biscuit after biscuit after biscuit after biscuit after biscuit, and you can eat through it. And that is why it is absolutely integral for me to have this aftercare package because I would immediately email over to Tonic and say, I'm really struggling. I am scared to get on the scales because I don't know if I've gained weight, but I am. In a really bad place with my eating, I really need somebody to get on the phone and talk me through what I can do here. Within 24 hours, you're on the phone with somebody and it's like a, it's just brilliant. It's support that you wouldn't get from anywhere else because other people who haven't experienced food, food addiction or cycles of unhealthy eating and binging and eating disorders would be like, Oh my God, it's some biscuits. Calm down. We all have some biscuits every now and again, like chill out. But you know yourself, if that was alcohol or if that was heroin or some sort of drug and you just had one little bit of it, you would know for sure that that is you breaking your sobriety. And it's no different when it comes to this. You've really got to have the support to be able to stay on a lifelong track of, of healthy eating or eating in moderation with the occasional treat. It's that's what's harder with food, I would say. You've got to eat to live. You could go the rest of your life without ever having recreational drugs. You could go the rest of your life without having a sip of alcohol and you would live. You could not go the rest of your life without food because you would die. That's why the aftercare was absolutely in- integral for me. And I feel like tonic really, really provided it. And the other companies that I saw didn't. And I just thought, that's fine. I understand that it might be cheaper here, or it might be, um, you might get me in quicker here, or blah, blah, blah. The surgeon might be from whoever. He might be a world-renowned surgeon. That's brilliant. But he's there for two hours, or she's there for two hours doing my surgery. What about the rest of my life? Because that's where the problem's going to start, when I need the support and you're not going to give it to me. How am I going to get the support? Because then I'm back where I am to step one. So that's why I thought, right, tonic is the one for me. And I really have not looked back. They've been absolutely brilliant. I've I've got not a negative word to say about them. And I'm not, this is not me saying, everybody go to tonic immediately and get weight loss surgery. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, please, please, please research Research, A, about which type of surgery you want to have, because there is numerous types of bariatric surgery. B, research the different companies, all of them, because knowledge is power, and for you to have the knowledge, you have the power. And so what's right for me might be completely different for somebody else. My experience has been absolutely amazing, and I don't have a bad word to say, but what I want to say to people is do the research And if you are going to look at other weight loss companies, do take the time to look at Tonic and figure out, do you need the aftercare? Would you benefit from this? Would you like the additional support? And if you would, then that is a company that I would recommend to look at as part of your research into weight loss surgery.
1: And that's just really important, just to reiterate, that's your personal Chanel, your personal recommendation, if someone's looking for one, but they've still got to research and still they need to talk to their GP. Don't just sign up because Chanel says say so, and you like the way Chanel looks, because just because Chanel's had her body changed like that, doesn't mean you're going to as well, just to put Absolute, that really clear. Absolutely.
2: Like- a hundred percent. And I really, really can't stress that enough. Obviously, I'm a student nurse. I'm not a bariatric surgeon. It's, I, I do not have any scope of knowledge to give anybody advice or guidance on what they should do with their bodies. What I can say as a bariatric patient and a student nurse is research, 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 speak to professionals and see what is best for you as an individual with regards to your health. Because yes, it's been great for me, but what is great for me might not be ideal for somebody else. So I just think knowledge is power and you get knowledge from professionals that are in the industry. So like you say, discuss it with your GP, discuss it with weight loss surgeons, discuss it with your family members for support. Are you going to have support from them? Discuss it with as many people as you can and research, research, research. Don't just nip on a flight to another country and get something done there because you think it's quick and easy and it's the easy way out because there's ramifications of just doing that. You need to research, 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 research.
1: Exactly, and that's obviously the way your body's changed. How has it changed for you mentally, now? How's your outlook on life changed? How again? How do you look at the media industry now that you've gone through this? And what's the journey been like within your family? Obviously, you're engaged and you've got your two children. How's that changed for you having that weight loss?
2: um I mean, when I met Dan, I was bigger anyway um, than I am now, and he like loved me as I was regardless. Um, the kids. Obviously, don't care what size you are. But I was at the point where I wasn't able to go into soft play or go on, like, climbing frames or whatever with Frankie. So that was difficult and hurtful. Whereas now, I can kind of do a lot of that stuff. But what I will say is from carrying all the extra weight, I've now got arthritis, osteoarthritis. I'm not saying, I mean, it's it's not proven, that it's from carrying the extra weight. But there are scientific links of being heavier and developing osteoarthritis because of the extra strain put on the joints. So I personally do feel as though if I would have lost weight sooner and got into a healthier place sooner, then I would have been able to maybe have kept my body a little bit healthier. But my mind is in a brilliant place. I am happier than I have been in a long time. I am... I know I've got certain illnesses and certain conditions, but I'm feeling like I've done completely the right thing in terms of having the surgery. And it's helping me eat healthier. It's helping me put healthier meals on the table for the kids. It's helping me get more active and walk the dogs with the kids and do things that I wouldn't necessarily have done before. And by me being accountable for what I'm eating, it's helping Dan be accountable for what he's eating it's setting good examples, and I think it's just stopping the like generational cycle of then my kids overeating and becoming unhealthy in their relationship with food. Do you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. And obviously, you mentioned, Dan, you're engaged to. What are the wedding plans? Let's talk happier things. What What's the wedding plans looking like at the moment?
2: It's a year exactly now that we've been engaged, and we've not planned a thing. And it's, ob- it's obviously all down to me, because it's the girl, really, that tends to do the planet isn't it it's my day really he just has to turn up I just can't be bothered I've just got too much to do you know I've got two I've got two businesses I'm, I've got my travel agency business I've got my aesthetic business I'm doing a full-time nursing degree I've got two kids and a stepdaughter I've got two dogs you know just moved house I don't have the time for planning a wedding although that being said I have just very, very recently, within a couple of days, actually just contacted a venue that I have decided would be a good one. It's a venue that, I'm not going to say where it is, but it gives back to the locality that it's in. It gives back to mental health and mental well-being and support for teens and youths in that area. So I felt like at least if I'm going to spend a fortune on getting married, the profits have got to go somewhere else than line into somebody's pocket. The sentiment behind the venue is useful for people's mental health. So I think that that is a good place to start. We haven't been there. I've literally just contacted them. It might not be the venue for us, but I wanted to start looking at more wholesome Venues rather than just lining big people, big companies' pockets. I am a Yorkshire-born and bred girl, girl at heart. To me, I would much rather save the money and put it into our home, or save the money and save it for our children's futures, and have a simple wedding with our nearest and dearest, where they get to see us, just get to see how much we love each other, and have just a little special special day and with the money going to something good at the end of it
1: where's the okay the hello oh, yeah, deal like,
2: honestly before if you'd have asked me this 10 years ago i would have been renting an island at like a whole private island i would have been like so i would have got married to ziggy it would have been a whole different category. 300
1: people that you don't know at the wedding
2: yeah exactly i would have invited people just for the sake of having certain names there now I'm, like, chopping people off the list if they've not texted me when I've had COVID. I'm like, no, they're not coming. they are not texting me to see if I'm all right when I had COVID. No, that's not a thing. They're not They're not invited. I'm literally being so, not stingy, but I just selective. feel like... it's Selective, yeah, selective. And I don't need to make a big song and dance about me and Dan being the centre of attention because it's a piece of paper at the end of the day and we just want to have a celebration where we've got people there who we love who we can enjoy our time with.
1: My thanks to Chanel Hayes for that interview and also to Tonic Weight Loss Surgery for setting up and the team at Independent News Media, including Daniel Clello, Rory McGowan and Barney Howe. Please remember, if you're looking to lose weight, to speak to your doctor first. You've heard Chanel's personal story about that. Doesn't mean that that's going to work for you. So she's given you the recommendation of the Tonic Weight Loss Surgery. Go and check them out if you're looking to lose weight. But do your research, have those conversations that need to be have. And early in the conversation, Chanel spoke about her adoption journey. Like I said, there's some amazing books out there. If you want to learn more about adoption and foster care, Louise Allen, Kathy Glass, Casey Watson, and Wife three go to authors who release books every single year telling the stories of those in the past. This is Security and Secure episode 200 done. Thank you for listening to 200 episodes. We continue the journey next week as we go from episode 201 all the way up to 300 as we continue the journey to say it's okay to not be okay. And if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoyed the podcast, then I need your help. If you've listened today, please share on Instagram tagging at Chanel J. Hayes, at Johnny Seafer, at Security and security podcast and on Twitter at Chanel J Hayes and at Johnny Sefa and on TikTok at Johnny Cifer 92 and then what I need you to do on iTunes if you're listening on iTunes at the top you've got a little add button click that so you're subscribing to Skinny and so you every single time there's a new episode out on a monday and a friday you get it first in your inbox to say there's a new episode and then go down at the bottom leave a five star rating and then leave a review and on spotify follow give the five stars it's so important we keep spelling the word it's okay to not be okay and also make awareness for this podcast where else are you going to hear celebrities opening up about their mental health being vulnerable and telling you their journey it doesn't happen anywhere else i'm johnny c thank you so much for listening until next time thank you and goodbye